1: isn't waiting for the fullness of this man's faith to make this miracle real and and it so frustrates me when I hear in our contemporary culture, pastors, teachers Bible study leaders uh, radio preachers whatever it might be, making these statements of saying, you know what, you need to have faith in your faith. I don't need to have faith in my faith. I know where my faith is. And many times it's way, way short of what it needs to be. That's why I love this guy here. Lord, I, I believe, but I only believe about life right here. And I need you to
0: lift me up to here. We know that faith pleases God. In today's message from Luke chapter 9, we will hear about a desperate man with a demon-possessed son who hopes that Jesus can heal the boy. The man famously says, I believe, help my unbelief. Pastor David encourages us today by reminding us that the Lord doesn't require our faith to be perfect, when we approach him. In fact, Jesus is moved by faith the size of a mustard seed. With the tiniest of faith, God can do the impossible and move mountains in and through us. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, From Mountaintops to Valleys.
1: Now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out, saying, Teacher, I I, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out and it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. And so I implored your disciples, I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. And then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. He healed the child and gave him back to the father. Happened on the next day as they came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, this mountaintop experience, and suddenly they come down into the valley and they are surrounded by the multitudes. The, I mean, ministry starts the, the moment you, you get there not only just a general type of ministry suddenly through the crowd this one breaks through breaks through and 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 literally almost comes to the point of begging and, and pleading Jesus to to come and minister to his particular need was he the only one in the crowd that had a need no but his certainly came to the forefront Mark tells us again suddenly or maybe your version says just then or behold but it's that idea that the, the guy kind of breaks through everything else and he comes to Jesus and Luke is the only one of the gospel writers in in, that record this event that says that this is the man's only child he explains to him that the spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out it convulses him he foams at the mouth it departs from him with great difficulty bruising him and some commentators have looked at that and said well you know that sounds a whole lot like epilepsy maybe maybe that's what this child had and Yet the thing that we need to be careful of is there's definitely a difference between sicknesses and demon possession. The unfortunate reality is, is I believe that this young man had both. I believe that he did have a sickness because it does say that Jesus cast out or rebuked the unclean spirit and he healed the child. So I have no problem believing that he had epilepsy, but I also I have a great problem in saying that epilepsy is is demonic of cause or or place within an individual's life. I believe it's a again it's a it's a sickness that's there. Jesus brought the child here. He healed this young man. I wonder why the disciples hadn't done that. After all, the disciples and we'll look at it in a minute. I, there, there's an answer for it, but. When you look at it, the disciples, it wasn't too long ago that Jesus had given them authority. He had, at the very beginning of chapter 9 of Luke, as a matter of fact, he had sent them out and he would given them authority to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and to proclaim the kingdom as they went. And yet now Jesus comes down and the disciples have been requested to, to, to heal this young man, to deliver this young man, and they weren't able to do it. All three of the gospel records that, that speak of this event give those words in verse 41 where Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? And he says, bring your son here. Matthew and Mark tell us nearly the exact same words. Faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Well, my question is, is, who is Jesus speaking to? And it's really kind of difficult to determine exactly who Jesus is speaking to. We don't see it real clearly in the text. Is he chastising the disciples for not being able to, to do the, the, and, and handle business while he's gone? Or was it a general statement just for the, for the multitudes that were surrounding him? I think as we look at it, we could easily say that it was probably both. And I don't think that's a cop-out of an answer. I think it's the reality of it. I mean, after all, think about it for a moment. First of all, Jesus had been pouring himself into these disciples now for, for over three years. He had demonstrated the power of God over and over again. The power of God over sickness. The power of God over sin. The power of God even over death and demons. And he had spoken to them earlier, as I said giving the disciples that power to be able to pray for the sick, to pray for those that, are, or that had demon possession within them. And I don't know, was it that suddenly they hit the wall in their spiritual life? they had come to a place that now they weren't able to do what they had done just probably weeks prior to this? I don't know about you, but sometimes we hit spiritual walls. I hit spiritual walls in my life. I believe every one of us do. We can, have a, we can have a great move of God and a great work of God in our life, and we can move and we can be exercising within the gifts of God within our life. And then all of a sudden, bam, we seem to hit a wall and like nothing is going on. And you wonder, well, how do, how do we hit these walls? And I don't know. Uh, I, as I prayed about this and looked at this this week, I'm, I'm thinking sometimes the walls that I hit, and this is just me, maybe you can relate to it uh, Maybe you don't have walls, I don't know, but I think you'd probably do. Uh, Sometimes I hit walls because of doubt. Sometimes I hit walls because of fear. Uh, Sometimes I hit walls because of frustration. Sometimes I hit walls because of weariness, just, just wore out. And dare I say that sometimes I hit walls because of laziness, because of compromise, you know, battle fatigue will do a lot of things in an individual's life. In the real world, battle fatigue causes soldiers to do things that they would not normally do. That's why it's good for you and I to, to get rested, to re-energize. That's why we need the mountaintop experiences, those times of being restored and renewed and refreshed within the Lord. All of these things can come into our lives, uh, uh, particularly after times of great spiritual victories within our lives. And you think of these disciples, and they had had the chance to go out, and, and they had seen God move and work through them, literally the Spirit of God flowing through them. They were simple channels of what God was doing in the lives of people around them. So sometimes right after we've had these spiritual victories... Or maybe we might hit these battles when, when there's been a time of ease within our walk. Man, we haven't had any major attacks going on for a while. It kind of seems, hey, I love those seasons. You know, when those seasons come where, you know, it's, it doesn't seem like, man, every day the enemy is just hammering. I love them, but I also know in the midst of those seasons, sometimes we can get kind of a lackadaisical. We, we can get kind of almost lured to sleep Because we're not being attacked. I I, I see the church in America today pretty much that way. We've not had the attacks in the church in America as in other nations. And so many times we as the church in America, in in our relative ease, we've been lured to sleep. And I think only right now we're being pushed and nudged awake. Was it the disciples he was speaking to? And he says, faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I bear with you? Maybe it was the multitudes. Maybe it was simply because of the multitudes he had been ministering to, serving for these three and a half years. He had been, again, doing all kinds of miracles. He had been sharing with them the Word of God and the power of God in so many different ways, and yet there still remain so many that doubted him, so many that challenged him, so many that were suspicious of him, so many that were jealous of his followings. Mark is the one that reminds us that along with that multitude of people, there were also scribes that were there. As a matter of fact, it, uh, uh, Mark tells us that as Jesus came down from the mountain, the multitudes were there and the scribes were there debating with the disciples. Perhaps the words went more towards the scribes, more toward those religious leaders that, that so missed everything that he was doing. So was it the disciples? Three years, they still didn't get it? Was it the crowds? So many of them that gave him great accolades are now turning away from him because he's calling for a, a commitment of life, not just the, the uh, free lunch and health care program. He's calling for the commitment. Was it the Jewish leaders? No, well, they've been against him from the very beginning. They brought the young man to him, and Jesus ministered to that young man. Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. It seems so clear-cut, I mean so automatic here in Luke, that if you'd turn real quickly with me, there's, there's a lot more to this event. We find it in Mark chapter 9. Just go back to your left a few pages. Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, I won't read the whole event in Mark, but uh, just look at a couple of things within Mark's relaying of this event. Jesus, in in verse 21, Jesus asked the Father, how long has this been happening to him? And the man said, from childhood. So this isn't a kid that he's bringing to Jesus. This is very possibly a, a young man. In verse 22, as the Father is explaining this, He says it's often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. And then this question comes from this father, the father of this young man, to Jesus. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And then I love the honesty of this man. Uh, The absolute, pure, unadulterated, wide open, here I am, this man says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. The man came to Jesus in absolute desperation. He came to Jesus, though, I believe, without fully recognizing the fullness of who Jesus is. He comes and he calls him rabbi or teacher. He doesn't come up and say son of God or savior, Lord even. He doesn't use any of those titles. But he comes up knowing that this man may have the possibility of healing his son. He's probably heard or seen, again, Jesus healing others. And he comes and says, teacher, if you can, would you heal my son? Jesus says, again, all things are possible. And, and, and again, we, we, we look and understand that in this, Jesus isn't waiting for the fullness of this man's faith to make this miracle real. And, and it so frustrates me when I hear in our contemporary culture, pastors, teachers, Bible study leaders, uh, radio preachers, whatever it might be, making these statements of saying, you know what, you need to have faith in your faith. I don't need to have faith in my faith. I know where my faith is. And many times it's way, way short of what it needs to be. That's why I love this guy here. Lord, I, I believe, but I only believe about like right here. And I need you to lift me up to here. I need you to lift me up into the fullness of understanding and knowing the greatness of who you are. I, I love also the teaching that we we, we hear of the, of the healing that took place in in John nine. You don't need to turn there, but a, a blind man. A, you remember the story, the guy that was blind from birth, and Jesus makes a uh, uh, clay out of uh, spit and mud. You know the old mud in the eye uh, healing thing. Uh, no, just come touch me, Jesus. You don't need to spit in my eye. So he makes the mud, and and the guy is is gets his sight and. The, the Pharisees, the religious rulers, get all bent out of shape because it's the Sabbath, and here Jesus is. He's working on the Sabbath. He's making clay with spit. So they, they, they call the guy into account. First they call his parents into account. And they want to know, hey, is this the guy that was blind since birth? And they said, hey, you know what? Talk to him. He's right here. And so they came to this, this guy, and the Pharisees demanded of this man who had just received his sight, they, they demanded, give God the glory. We know that this man, speaking of Jesus, we know that this man is a sinner. And the blind man now seeing sees better than these Pharisees who have seen all their lives. He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I, I, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So let me ask you, where's that man's faith? It wasn't in the supernatural work of Christ, no. Christ did a work in that man's life. And then that man now is trying to understand, well, I don't even know how that came about. A little bit, well, the Pharisees get so mad at him, they kick him out of the the room, out of the, whether it be in the the, uh, synagogue or wherever it was, they kicked him out. And then a little bit later, we read the same event there in John 9, how Jesus, again, heard that they'd cast him out and they went looking for the guy. He found him. And Jesus said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And the man answered and said, well, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And it's only then that Jesus says to him that you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you right now. And that's when the man says, Lord, I believe. And he fell down and worshiped him. The Lord ministered to this man long before he understood who Jesus was. The Lord ministered to this man with, with the de- uh, demon-possessed son long before, I believe, this man understood who he was. Long before he had the fullness of faith that you, you might think that we absolutely need. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that we need faith. I know that we're called to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh, Jesus calls for us time and time and time again, man. If you had faith, you would be able to do this. You You need faith. I I understand that. But understand too, gang, our God is so much greater than our faith. And the work and the move that He has within our life isn't limited by any puny little human abilities. He is God. And He works and moves in the power and the authority of God, the majesty and the strength. That authority of God that comes and moves and works in the life. I think that's when we fall down. We fall down before him. said, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Whenever we struggle, whenever we stumble, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. For this man, Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to come out, healed the young man. Young man was forever changed. I believe also the father was forever changed. I believe that his faith was increased. I, I don't know about you, but when I see Jesus do those things, uh, well beyond anything that I could have ever you know tried to do, it increases my faith. Church, let me close it just with this understanding for you. We we find out a little bit. We find out also. I believe it's in Mark. That the disciples came and asked Jesus after this, and hey, how, how, how come we couldn't heal this guy? And Jesus says, "Well, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting." Well, the disciples have prayed. I believe that they fasted. Let me ask you this: What is fasting? That's the Atkins diet, or it's you know whatever, whatever current fad, or di- no, that's not what fasting is. What is fasting? It's a denial of self. So flat out a denial of self. And the prayer, I believe that Jesus even speaks to these disciples, isn't the quick one that comes down and says, okay, Lord, we're giving this one to you, amen. But it is a lifestyle of absolute dependence upon God in every aspect of our lives. That fasting is, isn't just a ritual or ceremonial type fasting. It's a life of self-denial. Is it food? Most often in the Word of God it was food. Nearly all the time, not all the time, but nearly all the time it was in food. But they didn't have as many distractions as you and I have today. You know, There's a lot of things in our life that we get caught up in pleasing of self, entertainment of self, whatever it might be. We get so focused on taking care of self. We get so focused on Making self at ease. We get so focused on self's plans and directions. Rather than living our lives wholly and completely surrendered. Oh, man may make his plans, but the Lord directs his footsteps. Are you willing for the Lord to direct your footsteps even after you've made your plans? Or do you do you live your life in such a way that, Lord, don't interrupt I've got my structure right here. You see, when you and I live our lives in absolute surrender, that self-denial, when we live our lives in that communication, not just a, a praying over a meal or at a bedtime or in the morning, but that continual communication with God, we have a life of prayer, we have a life of self-denial. You know what? When we come to the Father, I believe that we touch heaven at that point in time. I believe that we come to the very throne of God. Why? Because we're, it's, it's common ground for us because we're there on a continual basis. And if you live that kind of life, this morning you're here, you live that kind of life where you are in that continual, man, just self-denial, man, it's, it's, it's not about me, it's just about the Lord. There's so little about me that, that I even care about anymore. I just want the Lord to work and move in my life. And you're living in that type of understanding that Lord, uh, just the sweetness, much like what we see in the book of Genesis, Enoch walked with God, and then he was not, because God took him. What does that look like? I think it's a life of prayer. It's a life of self-denial. And if you're here this morning and that's the kind of life you live, I want you praying for me, okay? (laughs) Because that's when we really have heaven's ear. You know, you ask for things and you don't get them. Why? Because you ask them for yourself. That's what James speaks about. You might waste it on yourselves. When you and I get the right focus, the right understanding of eternity, the right weight of this temporal life compared to all of eternity. We can, like John the Baptist says, we can become less in order that he might become more. The man's son was healed. That was that was a no-brainer for Jesus. I mean, it was it was it was, all he had to do was speak the word. Why? Because he lived his life in self-denial, in continual communication with the Father. Self-denial even to the point that he gave his life for us. If you're here this morning and you don't know the sweetness and the joy of the greatness of God's love toward you. You realize how greatly you're missing out, not just for eternity above and beyond, but for right now. Because for the believer, and that relationship starts the moment you receive Christ in your life. And it can grow, and God desires to grow it in
0: your life. Changes from within by The Open Word. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to TheOpenWord.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us.
1: We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home, but it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that the open word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting the open word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu.
0: We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word.